Chicago, Chicago, I'll show you around. Speak of Chicago. The corner was our magic, our music, our politics. Fires raised as tribal dancers and war cries broke out of different quarters. How to the people? Maybe we could start again. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Kasabez Makumar. And Jesarita Debasa. Coming again with episode three of the Chicago Sunnyside podcast. We have a visitor. Cat? Yeah, cats aren't even <laughs> supposed to be up here. Come here, kitty. We have a great show lined up for you today. We have Baba Sunjata. Uh, the principal of Betty Shabazz International Charter School, which is an Afri- African-centered uh, K through 12. Matter of fact, they have preschool through 12, not 12, 8th grade. I didn't know they had a preschool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's new to me. Mm-hmm. We just celebrated Marcus Garvey's birthday. Uh, Marcus Garvey, as you guys know, one of our premier uh kind of a revolutionaries yeah legendary revolutionary spirit who gave us gave many people millions of black people around the world uh the inspiration to want to go back to the continent of our origins and uh reclaim that as our home it's a great message and um you know this is what we're still working what we're still building towards so um Going home doesn't mean that we have to be there all the time, but going home means that we have to be there within ourselves, no matter where we are. Mm-hmm. Yes, going home looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that we hope that people are able to take away from what we're doing. Like some people get involved in what we're doing and they want to immerse themselves to the point of saying you know what i'm going to move there uh other people can take (laughs) take our classes lectures workshops even just this podcast is something that feeds the spirit Mm -hmm. and we hope that you can find value from that so going home can look different for every person so get yourself involved in any way that that fits you as we say here at the Sunnyside Podcast and at the Earth Center in general, the sun never sets. It's man who moves away from the light and it's light that we're looking for. It's light that we have to find and get back to and hold on. Even if even if we have to be in darkness and we have to, you know, find the stars to light our way or light a torch, you know, but it's light that we need to find our way forward. And when there's a time of confusion, we need to find the light to show us the way. Absolutely. So that light, we hope that you can find that light within this work that we're doing and you can share your light with us. You know, this is a two-way street. We're not trying to pretend that we are the only ones and have all the light and all the answers. That's the the challenge of what we're doing. We want to network with people who have some light and want to share their light. We have some light and want to share our light and we can just continue to build together. On that, on that note, I'll uh, direct you to look at our uh, comment section. I mean, not the comment section, but, but the details section in this video where you can find the link to get in touch with us and share some feedback, share a question, share an idea, share uh, whatever, whatever you want to share with us. Uh, whatever speaks to you to share with us, connect with us, or what have you, you can connect with us, and we look forward to hearing from you. And uh, while you're at it, hit that like button 
and subscribe uh, and do the little bell thingy for notifications and um, share it with a friend you know uh, today we're going to be talking about education um, again we're very excited to be talking to Baba Sunjata uh, from Betty Shabazz Charter School uh, before we get into that um, just on the note of education education being really that light that we're talking about education knowledge wisdom um, guidance is what we need to light our path forward and um, well before we had the modern schools before we had kindergarten and high school and and college and blah 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 uh, we still had education in Africa and indigenous cultures around the world all had their education systems and uh, that's what we call initiation and initiation really will be the education into life itself the education and how to function as a human being amongst other people and within yourself uh, what gives us our sense of identity what gives us our sense of belonging will give us a sense of purpose and uh, give us the kind of like the world map or even like the uh, you know the warning the little thing where you see the instructions with the little warning on it the, you know slippery when wet signs and all this type of stuff that we need for our life because you know we have our slippery times in life we have our uh, hazardous times in life Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's interesting because in, in traditional culture, initiation starts at a very early age. Mm-hmm. By the time you're seven years old, you're on your way to initiation camps. However, we miss that here in the West. We have certain uh, processes called like rites of passage, but we send our children off to preschool at four. We go to kindergarten at five and then right off to what? Um, first grade second first grade, grade whatever that is and and you never get this notion of initiation um, and that's where it's like you're really learning what life is and how you're supposed to fit into it and it's like your family is the one that's like initiating you into life or should be and if you miss that component then we end up with a lot of challenges that we could have you know avoided have we learned some of those life skills Um, because in the traditions they say if you don't initiate a child then they'll burn their whole building they'll burn down their house just to keep from getting warm Mm -hmm. and that's that's the same way our communities have been burning all this time Mm -hmm. america has been the world's premier marketplace since the transatlantic slave trade generated the most free wealth the world has ever seen People from all over the globe have been traveling to America to make money to send back home, while those born on American soil are being seen around the world as misinformed or even cultureless. The identity crisis facing Americans is apparent as our population struggles to cope with life through various forms of distractions and self-medication. These are all symptoms of the real problem, which is a lack of culture and values. Since the dawn of civilization, knowledge to guide the human being through the experience of life has been developed and passed down through initiatic education. The Dogon temples of West Africa that have preserved the world's oldest mystery school education have brought their secret society initiations to Chicago. The Umtam temples of the Kebta offer education in language, history, natural and spiritual principles, and healing. Call 773-359-4160 for more information, or follow the link to pre-register for classes. 
that being said uh we wanted to talk about a couple of things first of all these uh this wildfire that happened in hawaii uh they're still counting the dead they're well up over 100 dead but i think over a thousand missing which is like if they're still missing and it's a thousand of them you, you know you almost gonna be like I mean, I saw I saw one of the police, the police chief or something mm -hmm. from that town saying like, we can't, we our 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 staff is not equipped to go through smoldering wreckage mm -hmm. safely, mm -hmm. you know, and it makes sense in a sense, but at the same time, it's just awful because you know if there's someone who may be still alive, like, mm -hmm. what are you gonna do for those people? So you know, they're still missing after four or five however many days yeah. it's not it's not a good uh it's not a good outlook that being said uh we wanted to talk about a couple things first of all these uh this wildfire that happened in hawaii uh they're still counting the dead they're well up over 100 dead but i think over a thousand missing which is like if they're still missing and it's a thousand of them you, you know you almost gonna be like I mean, I saw I saw one of the police, the police chief or something mm -hmm. from that town saying like, we can't, we our 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 staff is not equipped to go through smoldering wreckage mm -hmm. safely, mm -hmm. you know, and it makes sense in a sense, but at the same time, it's just awful because you know if there's someone who may be still alive, like, mm -hmm. what are you gonna do for those people? So you know, they're still missing after four or five however many days yeah. it's not it's not a good uh it's not a good outlook it's interesting with these fires it seems like um you know they're spurting up all over the place and they used to be what concentrated that you hear about this just uh in California, California <laughs> you know that's where you just expect to hear wildfires right. and it almost became just uh, yeah yeah wildfires again in California but sure. we're we're starting to feel it you know yeah. in other places in the world even if you're not feeling it per se even we were talking about just the, the smoke uh, the quality of air yeah in uh, Chicago like you know how how there's wildfires in Canada that's blowing smoke all the way that goes through Chicago and all the way to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. It's that's insane. How much smoke are we talking about? Like how much fire are we really talking about? It's kind of mind-boggling. You don't see it on the news. You don't see pictures of the wildfires of the you know <coughs> huge huge amounts of land. I mean Canada is so big. Mm -hmm. You know, and how much Canada must be just on fire right now? Like how much death are we talking about and you you feel for you know people who are probably like living close to those fires and uh you know i think a lot of those places are like you know indigenous people living there still mm -hmm. and uh what's happening to them this is something that we're not talking about Every, everyone wants to talk about trump being indicted you know for the fifth fourth fourth or fifth time uh they don't they don't want to talk about other big issues that are affecting people and um you know, I guess it's just what the news does every time, but that's why we have to be out here also having a voice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but anyway, yes, yeah, it's, it's tragic to hear about Hawaii. You really just hear, you really just hope that those people get the help that they need. You know, you don't really, I, I'm not one to really be thinking people should rely on government assistance, but if there's ever a time for the government to try to assist, uh, you know, it should be in a problem like this you know Absolutely. at least bring them some food at least like give them something so they can try to rebuild their houses and their businesses and stuff like that but i heard that they gave like maybe uh, so far maybe about a billion dollars they've invested in hawaii who knows who's gonna receive that money but 
compare that to you know over a hundred billion dollars and counting to Ukraine yeah but it, it's interesting when you say about like the government should step in and, and do something uh, what I have been hearing about these tragedies is that it's still like the human beings helping other human beings yeah um, with the food even the support uh, that is coming yeah. you know it can be stuck somewhere where it's like okay well they may be have the food or the resources there but it's actually people like getting on their own uh using their own resources and to take the food and 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 search for people and trying to help um, i was just reading where uh uh, there's like a tourism business they like Mm -hmm. shut down their commercial operations indefinitely in order to like let their port be a space where everyone can you know kind of bring resources and then it can be redistributed by from there they're making their vehicles available and stuff like that so yeah people pulling together is always a story that's like a good story to hear Mm -hmm. you just you know you just feel for these people and hope that you know they don't end up falling to predatory situations because you're already hearing about like commercial developers calling people and asking to buy their land and it's like man like they probably might still have loved ones missing that they're looking for Mm -hmm. and i mean i talk about you know scoundrels you know scoundrelry (laughs) i'm telling you it's like this funny word that's a new word yes scoundrelry scoundrelry Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> we need we need we a new word. word. We need a new word we, because we it's like we need some new words. We have to we, some like at some point it's like the words that we are already using fail to describe what's really going on. <laughs> we need a new word, scoundrelry. Uh, the other thing is uh, speaking of scoundrelry, oh. uh, Rendemsevere. The guy I was telling you about. Uh, I never even heard of this, but uh, yeah. So um, apparently, you know, severe is a drug that was released under emergency authorization by the FDA or you know one of those you know letter agencies uh, to treat COVID nineteen. And uh, while they're not allowing people to use other, you know, doctors were getting fired for using hydroxychloroquine and uh, and. Uh, What's the other one? Whatever, ivermectin, I think. And then uh, they're firing people over that. So you have drugs that have been used for decades, but they're not being authorized under Emergency Use Act, even though uh, you don't really need to enact a new law because they're already available to the public. Mm -hmm. They didn't need to pass a new law to let people use them, and people were having success using them, and they didn't go and say, hey, we're going to rigorously study this because uh, maybe there's something to it, maybe it'll work. You know, they just want to say, hey, there's this new drug, we want to push for Nesuvere, then, you know, because they make more money on that one. Uh, so that one's put out by Gilead. Anyway, come to find out, they have like some batches of it that had glass shards in it. Uh, and then they did a recall. Uh, one guy, and I'm, you know, probably the only one, probably not the only one, but the only one I've heard of, he took two or more doses of this and did, uh, he had two strokes and uh, had to have his leg amputated. So, wow. you know, and then the company Gilead, you know, put on screen Gilead. Uh, don't don't trust this company because what they did, they said, oh, because this drug was released under emergency authorization, we should not be liable uh, for damages. So they're trying to get out of compensating this family, which really there's no compensation for this type of situation. But you know. 
even that, like, they don't even have the integrity to offer an apology and say, sorry, you know, we didn't meet to, for this to happen. It was a mistake or whatever. We did a recall. Uh, let us try to help you with something. You know, that would that would have been decent. You know, it would have been something. That, yeah, but it's just outright scoundrelry. Yeah. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame, but it's one of those things that you hear time and time again about how the, the medical system it works here it's like they're really not in a position where they're trying to help and aid people they don't care people. it's about the it's bottom line it's a business yeah and then the more they can make the more they can make on their on their drugs the more they can you know fatten their pockets that's really what they're concerned with and then that means they, like, have a mistake. they want to make sure that you keep buying their medicine well we could go on and on, and on. Yeah. but like at least make it when you make a mistake i mean have some integrity man i mean yeah. come on a little bit of human decency. A little bit, like, but you see, it's just outright scoundrelry. There's no concern for a human human life. And then, like, this is the same feeling feel we're calling healthcare. And I'm, while I'm on my seat, my soapbox right now, I want to say one thing, okay? All you people talking about healthcare should be free. The healthcare is a human right. What kind of care are we talking about when these are the kind of companies that we have running our healthcare system? Man, y'all can go on somewhere with that. Uh, what about uh, bringing back the value of traditional uh, herbal healing, natural healing? Uh, because that's what worked for humanity for a very long time. I and mean, we didn't have these incidences, high incidences of cancer, diabetes, and high blood pressure, you know, heart disease, heart attacks teenagers getting heart attacks now teenagers dying from heart attacks i mean come on athletes the healthiest so-called healthiest people out here dying from heart attacks these aren't people who are dying because they don't have health care come on it's because the health care system is not care it's just scoundrelry put, put, put on the screen again scoundrelly I don't yeah, know yeah. Say it right. Right. <laughs> That's hey, it. Look, I, I, <laughs> it's a hard one. It's a tongue twister. Scoundrel Scoundrelry. Scoundrelry. Yes. All right. <laughs> I got it that time. All right. All right. So yeah, um, you have anything else before we cut over to Bobo Sunjata? Mm, I'm ready to start the interview. Let's go. Okay. Oh, what about our? Um, do we have a proverb for the week? Do we have a proverb for the week? Oh, if you don't educate someone, you give them a chance to hurt you. Since we're talking about education, traditional African uh, proverb. Um, and uh, on that Let's note, say it again, like in a way if you, yeah, if you don't educate someone, you give them a chance to hurt you. Well, someone who doesn't know, I mean, I, all we have to do is look in our neighborhoods. That's all we have to do is look in our neighborhoods. We have many people out here who's uneducated, and because of the lack of education, and when I say education, I'm not just talking about uh, they don't know how to read and write. They don't know how to add and subtract. That's another issue. And that's an issue, too. too. That's an issue, too. But um, cultural education will be what enables people to function together as a group. Mm -hmm. And uh, no right right from wrong, no good from bad, no uh, decency from scoundrelry. 
You know, and if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, I'm not wrong, okay? If you don't educate somebody, if someone, if someone is doing something wrong and you don't stop them and they say something, and you don't say something, and maybe you don't say something because at the time you feel like it's not affecting you. Mm-hmm. At the time, at that moment, you feel like it's not hurting you. So you don't say anything. Or it's well, none of your business. Right. Oh, it's none of your business. That's the one everyone likes to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't say anything today, tomorrow that person might be breaking in your door. Mm-hmm. You know, that might, person might be knocking your mom over. So whatever, whatever you, when you see someone you, who needs correction, you know, in the right moment, in the right way, see what you can do. You know, uh, we are in a society where saying something to somebody is almost like a crime. Like a person can be committing a crime, but the crime will be you saying something about it or you doing something something about it. That's what society will crucify you for. Mm-hmm. And, and the person who's doing the crime, they just doing them. They just live in their best life. You know, mind your own business. Mm-hmm. And this is how our society is uh, degenerating more and more. Bill Gates is on the prowl right now trying to replace teachers with AI, artificial intelligence for teachers. So that's the big thing now that because it, the salaries for teachers are too high, this is an expense that we need to eliminate. What and I so want to know is who is to- Bill Gates to be speaking <laughs> on such matters? It's not his money being spent. <laughs> Come on, man. No, this no. guy wants to talk. He wants to be the one to solve the climate crisis, uh, the food crisis, the disease epidemics, and all this stuff. It's like, are you actually causing the problems causing that you're talking about? You have solutions for like, what's what kind? Where does where do you come from? Like, where where are is there like a nexus that material like scoundrels are just materializing from this nexus for like like is that he i know human beings right we can be pretty bad but come on like at a certain point you just gotta wonder like where where did you come from where did you come from i don't know and where are they taking us to that's the bigger problem it's like if we are following their lead because we think they're so smart they're so intelligent they're so uh wealthy that oh they must have all the answers they must have all the solutions yeah you'll follow somebody right over a cliff because you're not thinking for yourself because you don't have a cultural understanding and background that you'll just fall for anything and that's what what we're doing we're seeing it day in and day out like you were just talking about the technology that we've just gotten so lazy that we don't want to think for ourselves we want somebody else to think for us and so we can go do social media so we can go to the ball game so we can do something ridiculously stupid and 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 think that's fun you know and that's how our society is going and that's why we need initiation <laughs> we'll be right back with Baba Sunjata how long have you been the principal since its inception? No, actually, that's I, that's a story within itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I started at Betty Shabazz. I've been in education for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I started in the Chicago public school system. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at two different schools. One, I worked at Price, 
Uh, then I worked at Cone Elementary School. Okay. And it was one thing that I noticed, you know, I was very into the culture very early. Um, my father, you know, kind of introducing me different books, you know, uh, different speakers and listening to videotapes. So as he was really into the culture, me growing up into it early in high school really got me involved. So um, when I started working uh, as an educator in a public school system, I I still kept my cultural sense, my cultural awareness and my identity. Mm -hmm. And from time to time, I would wear my, my suits and then I would wear a daishiki from time to time. And I noticed that when I wore daishiki, that people were, I'm not going to say that they were offended, but I can sense that they felt a way about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was in our community, you know, this is in Roseland area. Mm -hmm. And to me, it... It just, I didn't think about it. This is just something naturally that, you know, how I dress. I, and so what I noticed is that whenever I did wear my suit, people went out of their way to compliment me. Like, oh, you look really nice today. I love that suit. As if to say, this is how I want you to look. This is how I want you to present yourself. Mm -hmm. And it was such a, just an, an awakening uh, in our feeling. Um, that I, I was beginning to understand that there was a part of me that was accepted, but the cultural part of me was kind of like, we don't want that part. Mm -hmm. We just need you here as the teacher, as the educator. Right. But the cultural piece we didn't want. Gotcha. And to me, that let me know that this may not be the environment for me. Mm -hmm. um, it was just through the creator's graces that I bumped into a longtime friend of mine, uh, Mama Makita. Uh, just, I was at Chicago State uh, working on the gym. I was able to just use the gym because I graduated from there. And uh, we met, I was in high school, and I explained my situation. She said that, you know, uh, she found I was in education and you know what you know my life's mission was what my beliefs were and she said oh i got the school for you and i was like really and she was like yes you have to interview you come on down to the school it's called betty shabazz international charter schools at that time and so i went in the interview and at that time i the certified teacher minored in history so i was like i want to teach history Mm. And at that time, history teachers, everybody wanted to be a history teacher, especially at a cultural school. Mm -hmm. uh, so they said, well, do you have any math background? I said, well, I was an architect major for two years at Tuskegee. I'm decent at math. I have my certification. I could teach. I like math. I have history in it. So, yeah, I can do that. But they weren't sold on the idea because I had only had one year of classroom experience and one year as a full-time based substitute so they say you don't have enough experience but we'll let you come in as a teacher's assistant and so coming from a salary at chicago public schools to a teacher's aid position at a charter school mm. was a significant cut significant cut in pay mm. um but i got the sense that this was home. This was the environment mm. that I wanted to be in. 
So I took that cut. I said, I'll accept the teacher's assistant position. Now, I'm certified. I'm a certified teacher. Right. And I'm going to take a TA's position. They didn't feel I had the experience. So I said, okay, that's what I'll do. Uh, so I came in the door uh, helping other teachers. Mm. And when was this? What year was this? This was in 1999. 99, okay. I came in helping other teachers and they, you know, whatever they needed, bullets and boards, papers copied, everything getting this, getting the year ready for the parents and students mm -hmm. to come. And so there was one classroom they still haven't hired. It was a fifth grade math and science classroom. They still haven't hired the teacher yet. And at that time, um, people were starting to look like we're getting closer, the families are coming. Uh, and they said, well, you might have it. I said, well, you know, I'm just gonna do my part. My role is to be the TA. I'm gonna wait for the teacher to come. Everybody's there interviewing. And so the principal said, uh, the day the parents were coming, it, it got all the way down to the day. And I said, well, what do you want me to do with the classroom? And she said, um, well, actually, this is going to be your classroom. You're going to be the math teacher. And I want you to go downstairs and talk to the parents and tell them what you're going to be teaching for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that was they, Mama E? No, that was Mama Davenport. Okay. Mama okay. Stephanie Davenport. She, and she's still, she's still with the community. She still works with us. Okay. But I went downstairs and from that point of me meeting the parents, it was like magic. Mm. because the parents saw me and they was like, oh my God, a male teacher? I want my son, everybody who had a son said, I want my son in his class. Mm. And so I ended up with a class for like all boys and I still just had just a few girls. Mm. So there was another fifth grade class. And so I said, well, just take these girls and give me a few more boys. And it just turned out to be a spectacular year. Not only did I find out I love teaching mathematics, but just also being in that family cultural environment, there was nothing better. You know, I felt like there were days where I just wanted to be at work. If I wasn't feeling good, I can go to work because the children and the families and the staff, they just uplifted me and made me just feel great. And just being able to dress and be myself. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go to work and you can be yourself. You, you can't beat that. You know? yeah. So I loved it. So from then on, I um, became, eventually became uh, head of the math department. Um, working very closely with the principal at that particular time when Mama E came uh, after Mama E moved up to become the superintendent Mama Makita became the principal mm -hmm. and then after Mc Mama Makita became the superintendent then I became the principal so I've been the principal of Shabazz for 13 years so it's, yeah, well, it's been a long journey mm -hmm. I bet so uh, we were planning to ease into the interview and kind of start with a casual conversation but it looked like we're in the interview <laughs> We can cut the conversation just, just for our, just for our, um, you know, the the optics or whatever. Welcome to the sun, Chicago Sunnyside podcast. Oh, wow. oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> okay, we got right here. Yeah, we. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an honor to be here. When Baba Drew asked me to do it, I was sincerely appreciative. I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, I love it. So we're appreciating appreciating that you came. Yeah, really, so. really. 
So this is you're our our second interviewee. Uh, last last week we interviewed uh, Baba Patrick Woodter of uh, the African Fest. Oh, so wow. we're uh, getting off on the right foot with you know big wigs such as yourself. So I feel like humbled and honored that you would come to our uh, studio. And, uh, oh, what? Well, thank you very much. I really, I thought you were been doing this for years. <laughs> no, we just started. We, we just started the podcast. Uh, we've been doing media for years. We, we used to have the Sunnyside newspaper, yeah. you may remember. Yeah, uh, so we just now transitioning to doing a video component. And uh, yeah, this is our second interview that we're doing. And it's, uh, you know, uh, it's groundbreaking to have um, people such as yourself and, uh, you know, who are who have been entrenched in our struggle uh, here in Chicago for many years, and uh, you know, hearing that story, it uh, definitely hits home for me because I was in similar situations trying to uh, present myself authentically. Yes, you know, yes. Uh, but in environments where that's not normal, and yeah. uh, so I know exactly where you're coming from. Betty Shabazz always for me was like a home environment, and like you like. You know, like you have home field advantage at the game or something like that. So yes, um, yeah, I definitely appreciate you. You were there when when I first started working mm-hmm. with you guys with the after school and the summer programs and stuff yes. like that in two thousand five. And uh, so you've always been uh, someone very, uh, I don't know, uh, sincere, open, genuine person. And uh, I haven't seen you teach per se, but you know, yes, uh, I could tell. You know. Your name already says that you're culturally centered, and um, why don't we go there? Why don't we talk about the name uh, Sunjata? Can you say it? Uh, tell us how you got that name. Okay, that's that's another interesting story. Um, I was practicing. I wanted to be a drummer, mm-hmm. uh, so there was a a drum class that was on the corner of 79th, I think maybe Ingleside, just a few blocks from the school. And at that time, mm-hmm. I don't even think, uh, was I even connected? It was before I even got to Shabazz, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Baba Asante was the teacher. He held a, a drum class and I wanted to be a drummer. Mm-hmm. And so he taught me everything in terms of the djembe. Like I could break all the strings, all of the rings, take the skin off, everything we can go buy a ghost skin with the, the fur on it and everything he mm. taught me how to put it on soak the skin shave it all the rhythms um i can play cuckoo frokaba kakilambe manjani just all types of rhythms so mm. in, the, in not just teaching about the rhythms he also taught the history of the instrument Weird certain cultures, <coughs> just the meanings behind the songs, and then we got to one particular song, and it had to do with Mali, you know, the ancient civilization of Mali, not Mali that actually exists now, mm-hmm. but in its historical context. Right. And so he started to talk about the story of Sunjata and and the songs that we were playing to go along with it, and I became very interested. I'm like, wow, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, well, you, you know, you should read the book, the biography. I was like, okay. And so I, I went and purchased the book. And as I was reading it, I was really like, okay, this guy's just this conqueror. He's this great king or whatever. But it wasn't necessarily like that at all. Hmm. Uh, he started off as a cripple. 
that means he couldn't walk right he was born he couldn't walk to like age 10 or 12 he was kind of mm -hmm. he didn't have use of his legs mm -hmm. where it was uh predicted it was prophesied that this kid will become a king and eventually take over this kingdom mm -hmm. but reading the story and how he was able to do that um after he gained use of his legs and the type of person that he was was able to bring everybody together mm -hmm. to fight this 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 common enemy that everybody had like this emperor that was wicked mm -hmm. and the, when he brought everybody together and all of that the type of person that he was i felt that mm -hmm. and i'm like that's the type of leader that i want to be that's the type of person that i want to be mm -hmm. and i took that name i was like i want that name that's that's my name Right. And so I went, I went to work. It was, yeah, it was like once I started working at Shabazz, maybe a few years in, uh, I was like, I want to be called Sanjata. Mm -hmm. My Makita was on the morning circle. She was like, okay. She was like, for now on, Baba Shannon is going to be called this Baba Sanjata from that day forward mm -hmm. and never look back. Nice. And so now when somebody calls me Shannon, I'm like, oh, you must don't know me. <laughs> she don't know me that way, but that's okay. Or maybe they've known you for a long time. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, way before, right. You had known me way before Shabazz. Right, right. Yeah. That's why anyone who don't call me Casavez, I'd be like, well, <laughs> right, right. you must know me from like... Childhood. Yeah, yeah. you're not a loop guy. <laughs> so tell us about your childhood. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? What that, led you into education? That's a, that's wow. That's another whole day. Yeah, but <laughs> I would try to keep it as brief as possible. Mm -hmm. um, my childhood was rough. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother and father separated uh, right when I was born, mm -hmm. so I really have very little experience ever seeing them in the same room. Mm -hmm. um, and their separation caused a lot of tension where my brother and I, we were kind of caught in the middle, mm. uh, where my father, uh, an outstanding educator, uh, he was teacher of the year at one point, he was a physical education teacher, um, but not only an outstanding teacher, an outstanding father. I had two outstanding parents. My mother and father were both great people. Mm -hmm. They loved us, but they just couldn't get along. Right. So we were kind of caught in the middle. Um, the thing that I, that I realized as I got older is that all of the struggles, when you're in the middle of, of two warring parents, you know, that all of the challenges that I went through growing up, um, it really helped me understand children today and what they go through with their families. Mm -hmm. If I never experienced the hardship of growing up in a divided family, I would not have the level of empathy that I have today in terms of when we talk about developing the whole child, mm -hmm. that means understanding them as a whole, not just as a student. Mm -hmm. So me understanding, looking at them and the possible struggles that they may be having at home helps me address them, their situation. And as we make decisions, we make decisions in terms of what their challenges may be, not only in school, but maybe at home. And when we look at the whole child, we make decisions based on that it becomes you have a lot better outcome mm -hmm. so i'm glad i struggled i went to seven elementary schools i moved all over the place mm -hmm. one day i'm living with my dad and my, we don't like each other the next minute i'm moving with my mom and then it's like oh you die gotta go back to your dad so i did a lot of moving around 
Um, my dad and I were very similar. Uh, and um, we ended up, I ended up following the same path as he did. Uh, he was a principal. And the interesting part is, is that he was principal of Arthur Ashe Elementary School. It's only a mile away from Shabazz. We were principals at the same time in the same community. And it took him a while to realize that we were really a lot alike. And so when we found that out, uh, and it wasn't because of us, it was because enough people were going, was going to him to tell him, like, wow, your son, you all are just alike, you all are just alike. When we grew up, we were, that really hurt us that we were alike, because it was like, man, I hate, we hate each other. Hmm. But it was like, we were bumping heads because we were so similar. Wow. And once we realized that, you know, that this was a positive thing that we were alike, it just, it manifested. So growing up was tough. I'm glad I experienced what I experienced. Um, it, it has helped me be, as an educator. Uh, it has helped me as a father. Um, but yeah, it was not an easy road. Mm-hmm. Not an easy road. A lot of bumps. And just out of curiosity, what about your grandfather? <sighs> my grandfather. I, I Well, two grandfathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's father I never met. Mm-hmm. But I, I hear so many wonderful stories about mm-hmm. him. He owned his own cleaners. He was a great dad. He died in my father's arms at 12 years old. Wow. Um, my other grandfather, my mother's father, is... I wish I could show you a picture. I don't have time to do that. But he's my twin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at his picture and I'm like, wow. And to hear his stories of how he grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually he gave me a home I lived in a home that he grew up in as a child and just our relationship before he died he walked me around the home and he helped me learn how to fix everything in the house like if doors were not aligned or needed to be taken out I learned how to put the the little dolls in there and all of that every little thing he was able to teach me before he died and we were able to develop a, such a, a great relationship before he passed. I was, I will forever remember that. Mm-hmm. So the men that I had in my life are just out, just outstanding. You know, even the, uh, the stepfather, my, my grandmother, uh, she was married to another man who I actually thought was my father, mm-hmm. I, I, my grandfather. I had no idea that he wasn't until years later, until uh, I actually uh, had a chance to really embrace my grandfather. and. He was spectacular, so hmm. there was a lot of love and sense in terms of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful. That's good. That that reminds me of the village concept, and uh, I know that's something that Betty Shabazz is really, uh, you know, we always affectionately refer to it as the village, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that's a good segue to get into the school itself and. Uh, what can you tell us about Betty Shabazz and um, maybe in contrast to the average public school that pe- people may be experienced with? Oh, wow. That's that's a deep question. Um, Betty Shabazz serves the same children. They serve the same families. The difference is, is that we believe that culture is the cure for a lot of the issues that we have today. Um, we believe that is very important that the children get a firm understanding of who they are as individuals, 
what their ancestors' contributions are, and what contributions that they are prepared to make and can learn how to make in the future to impact their community and the world, not just impact themselves, not just to become prosperous. Hey, I got mine, and now I'm gonna live this certain life. We make sure that when you get out there, whatever you decide to be, what contribution are you gonna to make to this society? So that's the difference. Uh, the major difference and that's it happens through culture as a foundation but when you get out here how are you going to contribute mm -hmm. not how are you going to prosper not, not how much money you're going to make we want our students to be successful but we want them to contribute let this let your prosper be a community thing so what are we doing now how do you instill that in the children in the families in the communities because as you stated that um, CPS, they serve the same communities that Betty Shabazz does, mm -hmm. but we can definitely see like in the, the community that the school is in, mm -hmm. there's a lot of challenges there. So how are you trying, how are you instilling culture in those children and families? Okay, well, by um, making sure that culture is integrated in everything that we do. From the time that they enter the school, the very first thing that they do every day is that they join us, the entire school joins into a unity circle. Mm -hmm. And on that unity circle, we're bringing out the red, black, and green flag and we are giving our pledge to our nation. Um, we are all wearing African clothes. We are, you know, it's very, our talk and our walk is very much aligned. Mm -hmm. So it's embedded in the food that we eat. We're a vegetarian school. It's embedded into our lessons. We don't, we integrate into every lesson, no matter what it is, some sort of African principle, or African culture, or some make some sort of connection that has to do with them. When we choose books, when we choose novels, is make sure that it's our authors, our people, so they're getting our exposure. And it's not that we disagree with diversity. We love diversity. We want the diversity, but we want our children to be prepared when they go out into the society that they're ready, that they're confident, that they're strong, that they're mm -hmm. self-esteem, that they're knowledge, that nobody can define them, that they can define themselves. Mm -hmm. So when we celebrate holidays like Kwanzaa, all of those principles are in there. So we do a lot of things to integrate that culture. And even in our speech, they don't go to the washroom, they go to the show. They don't eat food, they eat shakula. They, you know, in everything. When they, when we need your attention, it's avo. So they're used to hearing that. When they are referring to one of the teachers, uh, it's not Mr. and Mrs. It's Mama and Baba. That means something. You say Mama enough, that connection is made. Mm -hmm. You say Baba enough, that connection is made. It's not, I'm not Mr. Mason. And if I was Mr. Mason, automatically, there is some sort of line that is drawn. There is some sort of disconnect. But when I'm your Baba, mm -hmm. that means that I just don't want respect. That means that I'm gonna treat you like my own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh so what what would you say some of the challenges are that that you face you know as a school i mean for sure we've seen a lot of schools come and go just in the last 20 or so years uh probably since you've been over there you've seen schools come and go shut down and mm -hmm. especially even cps schools you know a lot of schools have been closing mm -hmm. uh so for sure you guys are facing challenges so how do you guys you know what are some of the challenges you guys face and then how do you how do you address that well, academically 
one of the challenges is, is to make sure that we keep up the level of rigor that pushes our students towards high expectations. Uh, because schools are closing because a lot of times it is their test scores. Mm. If you are not able to get the test scores met up to proficiency, then you can be in trouble. But if you look across the state of Illinois, in ELA from third to eighth grade, only 35% of the students are proficient at their grade level from third to eighth grade. 35%. You said in Illinois, in the Illinois, whole, story, in, whole in, in the entire state, 35%. Wow. And that's being generous. In mathematics, we're more so looking maybe at 28 to 30%. And if you're looking at just black children alone, you're looking at 20% of students that are on grade level from third to eighth grade across the state. Yeah. So when you're looking at percentages that low, you can imagine there are challenges. So, it's, you know, in our own particular community, the the level that we want our students to reach, the bar is set really high. The assessments no longer just taste, test basic skills. Mm. It felt like in the beginning when we were taking tests, it just tested the basic skills. The Iowa test, our children were here and then we started building up. And mm. once our students start mastering these skills and we start doing well on this test, it was like, no, we got to set the bar higher. So they pushed the bar higher. We're taking the Illinois standard, uh, assessment test, the ISAT test. Mm -hmm. So then, okay, now the bar is set higher. And when we mastered that, they set it even higher. And now they, they've given a test that is so challenging, many teachers would even fail this test. Wow. And it is a rigorous test. The standards are, are challenging, um, but it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. That's something that you want. You want to push, you know, if we're going to compete uh, against other countries around the world, you have to push the level. Mm -hmm. But the families and the communities, they sincerely have to prioritize education. We notice that the students that do well are the students whose parents are invested and in. they really have education as the highest priority. Mm -hmm. So when you have that level of support, you're going to have that level of success. Right. But many of our families a lot of them don't necessarily put education as their highest priority. A lot of them are just out here surviving. Mm -hmm. And so they, they may not have college degrees, they may not have master's degrees, they love their children. Um, but education has not been the vehicle necessarily that they have used to thrive. Mm -hmm. So we have to push to say, hey, this is important, let's work together to make sure that we get your child, you know, our children prepared for this future that we are heading towards. Because this future that we're heading towards, they're cutting out a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be a lot of opportunities that are created, but there are going to be a lot of opportunities that have been cut. Right. So we have to get prepared for this new future. And that's, we were talking about that before the, um, this session that whole balance that we're trying to find because there's definitely the academic component that we have to recognize, but then you also have to have the just behavioral, behavioral component to children and how they are able to just even interface and interact with society at large. And that's what we tend to find like in um, communities that are more impoverished, communities that are not as invested in the academic world, mm -hmm. um, you'll find a lot of behavioral issues. So that is like a big challenge, like how do you all address the behavioral challenges that you may find in the community um, at Petty Shabazz? 
Well, the biggest thing is, number one, is not to be punitive. Okay, it's like when something happens wrong, we want to correct it, but we want to give every student, every situation, an opportunity to be restored, like you could restore the balance. Um, we just don't say, okay, you did this wrong, you're suspended, you need to be out of here, or we're putting you out of class, we're putting you out of school, or whatever. Um, we do understand that the consequences need to be had for repeated offenses, but it is critical that you understand why the child is making the mistake. There are reasons, there are things that are happening at home. There are underlining um, situations that are occurring that if you get down to the bottom of the why, you'll understand why a student is having a bad day. You'll even understand why teachers are having a bad day. A lot of times things are happening that may not be food at home. Mm -hmm. This child was stuck at home babysitting their brother's sister all night long, didn't have a chance to do any homework. They've been up all night. This another child, they may have a cell phone and the parent is not aware that they're on their cell phones at three or four o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Another child is experiencing uh, social bullying and they're getting text messages, they're on Instagram, they're on Twitter, and they're being bullied, they're being harassed by their peers. And a lot of those situations are coming out and they're manifesting as bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And so if you hadn't gotten any sleep, of course, right. you know, if you're hungry, of course, if you are frustrated because you're not even feeling love, you haven't had a hug in a week, you're going to be frustrated. So when you're addressing the whole child, you're not just addressing that situation, but you're trying to get down to what is the actual cause, what is the real cause, what's happening outside of school that's causing these issues. So when you approach it, you try to find a solution of something that can connect to what the real problem is. Because we see a lot of result, we see a lot of residue uh, from issues that manifest through you're not eating properly, you, you have a diet of junk food, um, you have a mental diet of junk food, just social media, negative, watching fighting, watching pranks, watching um, provocative material. They have too much exposure and access to the world that I never had. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff, that, a lot of residue that comes out of that, a lot of behaviors that comes out of that, we have to understand that that's not bad behavior. They're just reacting to the food, whether it's mental, social, emotional, or spiritual, they're reacting to that. So we have to resolve these things, fix these things, and have discussions with the families. These are things that you need to do so the proper healing can begin. We, don't, we just don't punish. You know, that's the wrong thing to do. Just put them away, lock them up, lock them away. Mm. That doesn't solve anything. Right. So when you say it's not bad behavior, what what do you call that? Negative behavior. Negative behavior. Yeah. So you have tools, processes to address the negative behavior? People, resources, processes, all of those things. Like our detention room, mm -hmm. where the dean sit, mm -hmm. is called the cool down room. Mm -hmm. And the cool down room saves us. Uh, that's an opportunity if something happened if two students get into it if a teacher and student may get into it You go straight to the cool-down room and cool down mm -hmm. Okay, we have had parents to get into it. Let's say they're outside and they get into it You all need to come upstairs. Let's let's cool down first and then once you get into the 
get into the cool down room, we have what's called reflection forms. So you're just going to reflect. And on this form, we ask, well, what happened? What could you have done differently? Reflect on that. Mm -hmm. So as you reflect on what you did wrong, a lot of our students, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. I could have did this differently. I did this wrong, okay. So when you get down to it, you really start getting to the bottom of what really happened. Then you find out, yeah, nothing to do with school anyway. This is some personal stuff that's actually going on. So those type of processes for us has been beneficial. And then there are opportunities where if you need to restore justice, you get down to that lunchroom, wipe those tables. You go help such and such teacher. Make sure that those students, you know, those primary students get the support that they need. You know, so it's not punitive. We don't punish. You know, we have consequences that we have had situations where if you need, you know, if you need to be expelled because of some really dangerous stuff, we don't hesitate. Safety is first. But we like to restore justice, restore balance and get the students moving in the right track. That's good to hear because um, and that's something that we do in our schools as well that whole component that you were talking about, reflection. We often have conflict. We often have situations that you need a solution to, but the first and for foremost thing is like looking at the reflective part of it, looking at the self to see what I could have done differently and how did I contribute to this situation. And that's um, yeah, very good to hear yeah, that. And I, and I have to give a lot of credit to my administrative team uh, Baba Drew, especially in terms of dealing with the discipline at school, he's phenomenal. He's very consistent. Um, the best thing he does is set the example. By being a righteous person, they have somebody to identify that they can look at and say, okay, this is the correct behavior. I see his behavior. Well, they don't see that on 79th Street. They don't see that in their neighborhoods. But when they come to school, if you see that, you're modeling that and they like you, they don't want to be that. Mm -hmm. So that's all a part of it as well. Modeling mm -hmm. is just as critical as anything else. You know, you know, you can correct a situation by demonstrating, mm -hmm. and that also helps. So. Yeah, and we've seen Betty Shabazz grow over the years, and, and as uh, stated, face a lot of challenges. There were times where the school was being threatened to be closed because yes. of academics and the like. How did you all overcome that? And I. From my understanding, it's still a challenging position that Betty Shabazz faces on the academic side. Uh, the, the academic piece is always a challenge. Um, what we are doing is that we make sure now that we are getting our teachers the level of professional development and coaching needed for them to be successful. Mm -hmm. Training teachers is probably one of the most important things you can do in a school. Mm -hmm. It's like getting them prepared, make sure that they are ready for the lessons, make sure that they understand the content. Because we found out throughout the years, teachers, you know, sometimes, you know, their level of preparation, just doing a lesson plan it's not enough. It's like you really have to get into the content. You really have to learn this content enough so that when you're teaching it, you're prepared for three different students. You're prepared for the student who is a very high level learner so that they're not sitting there. I know this already. I'm bored. What's next? 
you want to be prepared for that student so that you can have the material set for an accelerated student then you want to have that be prepared for the student that is ready at that grade level say okay this is the material that we're teaching and then you have to be prepared for the student that is working two to three years below grade level you have to understand what are the misconceptions what are, mis what are things that they're misunderstanding where is the learning gap what do I need to do to be able to scaffold this lesson so that you can learn as well so to be able to push all three of those different types of students forward and having work in them having work collaboratively homogeneous and heterogeneous at times it depends you have to be prepared so training your teachers to do that while they're teaching is difficult but we have put together a very strong team to be able to get that accomplished so we have been pushing forward and last year just in terms of our English language arts department uh, in terms of the test scores um, our growth percentile was 3% away from the top 10% top of schools across the state. So the top 10%, they usually grow at the 60th percentile. We grew at the 57th percentile last year. So the plan that we have put in place has been working. The state was very pleased. They didn't have anything to say during our meeting. They were like, hey, you all are growing fantastic. They consider the 40th percentile being, if you all are growing at that particular rate, you all are doing well. In mathematics, we were growing at the 45th, so you all are doing okay. In ELA, you were growing at the 57th percent. That means whatever you all are doing, keep doing it, keep pushing. You all are heading in the right direction. So we're moving up in a positive direction. Now, what, if anything, can you do to address those students that you're talking about, those students or those families that are in that percentile that are not even focused on education, focused on uh, performance and the like, but they still have to be interfacing and interacting with the children who are trying to excel. That to me is one of the most challenging things that I see uh, with the families who are even trying to debate between whether I put my child in public school or if I put my child in a charter school or a private school. And the or parents homeschool. or homeschool, um, mm. parents are really trying to struggle with that issue because of really the behavioral issues that they deal in the CPS and charter schools um, where they're having to interact with children who are just really not coming prepared mm -hmm. to learn or, and the like. And look, let me add one caveat to that question too. I noticed too when I was there that you do also have transfer students. So you have students who will come first year and I've seen students come in and trying to teach them they don't really know how to write they may be in fifth or sixth grade they don't know how to uh do basic things that you know you probably want to be teaching in the first couple grade levels so uh yeah how do you address all those type of situations okay well we have two things that we do you have one dealing with your classroom teacher making sure that your classroom teacher is prepared and then also you have to make sure that the curriculum that you're using you don't want to take the rigor away from the curriculum that you're using you want to have that grade level rigor even if students are below level what we have to do to supplement that curriculum to make sure that we're addressing all needs even high and low performers are we use what's called an adaptive online system the system that we're using now is called iReady there are a lot of systems out there but at the beginning of every year everyone takes a diagnostic test an online test and on that diagnostic test the program is able to generate a learning path for every student if you're a high performing student it generates a learning path so you continue high performing so 
is the programs that it's giving you and the problems that are giving the problem set that they are giving you are higher than normal and that if you're in the middle it creates a path for you to learn at your grade level and then if you're low it'll assign you a learning path of skill building activities foundation strengthening so that you can continue to strengthen your foundation and at the same time it can set a learning path that allows you to gain what's called stretch growth not regular growth but stretch growth that means that a year's growth is not good enough for you because if you're two years below grade level we don't want you to grow a year we want you to grow 1.5 so we're going to put you on a path to stretch your growth 1.5 years so it brings you there and then it pushes you a little bit further so along with what the teacher is doing we have other programs to help you um, shore up some of the skills that you may be weak in uh, we also hire interventionists we have math interventionists and English language arts reading interventionists that come in to pull students out or they may push into the classroom and work in small groups uh, along with the interventionists like I said we have coaches that coach the teachers and sometimes coaches may pull students out as well mm -hmm. so we do our best to provide as much uh, support as we can in school and then we also have a, a tutoring program that we're instituting this year in mathematics because we see that that's our biggest challenge mm -hmm. so uh, a little after-school support helps as well mm -hmm. so it sounds like you have a, a balance of teaching from the teacher but also some uh, something programmatic from the uh, digital side Yes. So you have like you have computers for all the students, or yes, we're one to one with technology. Okay, um, and that that is not always the best mm -hmm. because sometimes uh, at at schools at various schools who have the technology they lean too heavily on it. Uh, the technology makes learning accessible to everyone. But sometimes teachers, if they see that they that they have the technology, they can lean on the technology. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing more important than high quality instruction from the teacher. Technology doesn't do the full job. It can introduce materials, but the level of engagement that you need, the interaction that you need, the type of questions, the type of connection that you have, nothing is outside or better than that classroom instructor. So making sure that your teachers are are really highly qualified and ready, that's the best way to go. Um, and that's what, what we have been doing. The technology is a plus. It does make it accessible. Uh, it does allow us to differentiate better. We have learning programs that can go from very low levels to high levels. It's great, but Nothing is better than a classroom teacher. So, speaking of teachers, uh, what? Because obviously, anyone going to a to a college, a four-year college, and getting a degree in uh, childhood education, mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't give a person the cultural reference point for what uh, Betty Shabazz is really uh, centered mm -hmm. on. So, how do you prepare the teachers culturally for? Uh, for the kind of environment that you all are, you know, fostering. Yeah, that that's that's a major task. Mm -hmm. um, and I would like to say that we give three weeks at the beginning of school for teacher training, and but that's not enough. It takes really it takes years of actual studying. It mm -hmm. takes years of reading. It takes years of research. 
um, for you to really get involved and you have to be interested and really want to know the information. Uh, teachers that, that come to our school, they know, they're very clear before, even in the interview, you have to understand what culture you're walking into. This is a very unique situation. Mm -hmm. If you're not comfortable with being African, you might, you might want to reconsider, like this is for real. So we do, we have our teachers, we have selected readings and things and authors and speeches and all of those wonderful things that we uh, engulf our teachers in. Like, but um, we really try to stimulate their interests. Um, we, we, we have events at the school. We make sure that they come out to for example, the Bantu Fest, so that they can get that full exposure to get them immersed into the culture so that they can see what it's like. A lot of them have never been to the African Fest. A lot of them have never been to the Bantu Fest. So we try to get them out there. Um, and then we understand that a lot of times that it, it's going to take patience. Um, and we, we do it not as revolutionaries, but we do it as agriculturalists. We plant seeds, okay? And, and that is with the understanding that every seed will not blossom at the same time. So it's a gradual process, and we know that some people are gonna come at different levels. Some people will come, they will have the knowledge, they will have the background, they will have already read a lot of the materials. And then other teachers who don't have it, be patient with them, give them the knowledge, plant the seed and then allow it to grow, water it, nurture it, and by the end of the year, they will be ready. But it is not easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that is one of the most challenging things that we can, at least I can say as a parent, um, trying to find environments where I can see that my child is being culturally supported, yes. not just academically, and, and that has been, I can say every school that I've tried that yes. has been the challenge and then you end up uh, with homeschool as an alternative which yes. is a beautiful alternative but at the same time you're trying to now balance that with uh, supporting the family and all these other components as well um, did you have any other cultural related well I was going to ask for parents you know and just understanding that there's a lot of most of the parents in our communities are not culturally centered african-centered household um how what would you say to the parents out here about the importance of the cultural centered piece you know of uh the cultural focus of education wow that's 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 deep um it's I would tell these our parents that it's 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 critical. Um, it's it's a matter of 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 our life and our death as a people. Mm. Understanding who we are, understanding where we come from will give us much better direction into making a decision about where we're going. We haven't made a decision exactly about where we're going because we're not firm on where we come from. Mm. You know, a small group of us uh, going in one direction is, is, is just not enough. And getting, to ev getting everyone to understand that this is a collective effort is difficult because we have grown up under the pedagogy 
of white supremacy and European way of thinking. Yeah, individualism. Uh, e individualism. Even the way we educate our children is still, even in, even in African-centered institutions, even in our culture, we still educate, our classrooms are still very individualized, you're very focused. Mm -hmm. And so restructuring how we teach our students even so that they understand that learning is a collective effort. Very small things that we have to learn how things are d done together as a family. Not just the smaller unit of family, it's the same thing as the larger unit of family. Like we have to start working together as a family. Uh, and then knowing our history. I mean, we fall for the same tricks. I mean, if you, if you know, if you can look at, look at the number of people that were enslaved in just America, then those, that number, I don't know exactly how many million it was that were actually enslaved. But if you take that number and you relate it to the number of black people that are incarcerated right now, I bet that number is very similar. Mm. Absolutely. I would, yeah. Yeah, that number is the same. So legally enslaved, you know, if you are incarcerated legally, you are still a slave. I bet that number is right on the top of each other. We, and we fall for the same, the same, the same thing. Uh, slavery, I, in my opinion, slavery would not have existed if we were actually working together. I do not believe that Europeans could have marched onto the continent and entrapped us without us being a part of that. I think if we had the collective unity and the collective thinking that we could, we need to come together to stop this, instead of using their tools weaponized against us so that we fighting each other can be a part of this slave labor institution, I believe if we had a collective thinking that history would have been changed altogether. But slavery is not like foreign to history. Like slavery is part of history and mm -hmm. has been part of every culture, yes. civilization's history. And to me, it's like the the part that we haven't been able to recover from slavery is because we have not gone back to our culture. We're mm -hmm. continuing to rely on the colonial system and the colonial education and mm -hmm. the box that they have put us in and that we're gonna continue to perpetuate that no matter how many schools, how many teachers, how many you know principals and all of these things, even Afrocentric uh, curriculums that we build, yes. if it's still based on the colonial model, we're never going to recover from that. Yes. And so that's the part that it's just like, I, I love to see that Betty Shabazz is doing what they're doing. It's something I even enrolled my child into the school because I love that, the, the, the uh, nurturing environment that it holds. Wonderful. That is something that is so very wonderful. But the part that you know, it was a disconnect for me is because of it was like this whole unification that everybody is not on the same page on the cultural side, because mm -hmm. one person's idea of culture looks very different from the next person's idea of yes. culture. If you think going to the Bantu Fest is culture, mm -hmm. then you're missing a mm -hmm. huge component. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not learning from traditional African people yes. in our idea of you know what America thinks is African yes. and you think that's African then you're we're still going to stay in inside yes. of that trap so that's the part that is like how do we get outside of those trappings how do we get side outside of that uh 
colonized way of even thinking about Africa and going back to like a traditional African holistic way of thinking of, of Africa. Now that that's a that's a that's a question. Within a question, within a question. No, no, but that is definitely the question that needs to be asked mm-hmm. if we are going to save ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to, that question needs to be answered to be addressed fully um, if we're going to be heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Because right now we're just, we're just heading in a direction. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of what we're doing, even though it seems prosperous, we're just kind of running in circles Mm -hmm. and at the same time our communities are still not being developed Mm -hmm. and there's still a lot of challenges that are going on so because the state will say oh you're doing well because we're following along the way they want us to follow they're still basing their prison system based upon how our children are doing in math how our children are doing in science how our children are doing in reading we know we need to build this many prisons because these children are not performing in third grade in third grade it's absolutely which is which is scary you have to teach certain things with math, with science, with history, and things like that. Mm-hmm. All of that didn't come from uh, African cultures. You know, the cultures of our ancestors that they were uh, per- that are being preserved, or that were you know our ancestors came from when they were captured and put on the slave ships and all that. Mm-hmm. Whatever they were doing in their villages and their cities, what they were learning in their education systems was something totally different than what we're having to teach academically now yes so how do you strike the balance to the two different kind of worldviews that that you see yourself continue with well it's it's all about perspective Mm -hmm. and whatever you teach that's why they call it like an african-centered perspective Mm -hmm. so whatever our children are learning it we try to make sure that it comes from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, they can learn about any culture, anything, any society, any, um, just anything. But you're learning it, looking at it through the eyes of an African person. Mm-hmm. But that is not an easy task because first you have to understand that you are an African person mm-hmm. and what that means. Um, so just we're just kind of scratching the surface and you know it's not nothing that i'm ashamed of i understand that this is where we are this is the condition that we're in mm-hmm. um but i definitely want to be a part of that solution uh so any surface that we're scratching get our to get our uh get headed in the right direction is the movement that i want to be a part of I hear you. <laughs> and that's what we we even discussed that as well in the sense that you know even though we're asking these questions, you know, this isn't just a Betty Shabazz issue. This oh, is not, not just the city of Chicago issue. Right. This is a, a situation that we're dealing with nationwide. Not even mm-hmm. nationwide, it's Worldwide. Global. Global. It is a global yes. solution or situation. But I do look at, um, for example, we have families that have moved to West Africa um, as a part of our uh culture and community and to look at the children that are born here and then they have to go uh, to Medita or Africa as you would say and they learn there they're completely two different children completely two different children even the ones who may have some behavioral issues or behavioral challenges coming from the west and going to Medita they come back almost 
transposed, if you will, because yeah. it's like they are embracing the culture there mm-hmm. and culture there has so much to do with respect. Yes. And that piece is so missing from this society here, that notion of respect. Yes. And one of the sisters that left here and went, took her children to Medita, she kind of struggled with that at the beginning because she's like, my children aren't learning what sh- they should be at grade level mm. because she, you know, one they, they had, there was a language barrier. So they, one, had to start a little lower because of the language barrier. And mm. then, two, they had to learn all the cultural things, too. So how to greet, how to bow, how to respect the elders, all of these things. And it's like you think like, well, they need to be learning math. They need to be learning science. They need to be learning all of this. But if they don't learn culture, they don't learn that respect it's like all the other stuff goes to the wayside but Mm -hmm. as you were stating like that whole notion of of getting the the cultural understanding first and foremost then all the academia on top of that yes it has a place to go yes but if you're trying to even do them at the same time it's like you've got some wanting to do it some not wanting to do it yes it's a it's a huge huge issue that we're dealing with and we really do have to find some collective solutions because it's not one person or one community, one group, one school, one principal, one institution's problem. This is a, a, a huge problem for all of us that we have to come together to find some collective solutions that can, like you said, save our, our children. We saving ourselves by saving our children. Yes. So putting the energy there. I love that. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you said that because yeah. that gives me a perspective of something that I should really think about um, just this changing habits not just learning habits but life habits as a mm-hmm. part of um, our school environment some of the things that we that we teach and talk about mm-hmm. uh, when I was critical. doing after school I was working with after school matters for several years and one of the things they had an emphasis on was what they call soft skills yeah soft skills yeah, yeah. so I mean for those not in the academic field or you know education field uh, you know soft skills will be like life skills communication skills being on time you yeah. know effort th- you know things of that nature that that's not measurable in terms of you know taking a test mm-hmm. but it it's really what is underneath your ability to take the test everything that you call a hard skill you need the soft skills to get it and I was we were talking earlier about how there's a lot of children you know being raised to adults uh, and they're in a situation where they unemployable because of how they just don't have the basic ability to communicate, the basic ability to uh, quiet themselves in a moment of frustration and resist the urge to do something crazy, you know, yeah. uh, or the basic ability to motivate themselves when they don't feel like go- going and getting up and doing what they need to do. But because it has to be done, you just work, you just push through it, you know, just basic stuff like this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people in our communities that are not being raised uh, with that. And then, you know, what kind of future can a person have with it? You can't even, you know, you couldn't even work at McDonald's. Mm. You know, that's not even like a, a, right. a life goal you know, right. for people to have. But, you know. If at least if you can do that, you could uh, you could work up to bigger things. But if that's Absolutely. like you know, there's like such a gap between what uh, you know what a person needs just to be able to function in a society. And I and I see it uh, so much that uh, kind of by design, 
we not really able to function together yeah because we're uh always thinking about me 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 yeah you know and yeah. uh and not thinking about the we you know the yes. the the we that it's the we that makes me that makes me me mm-hmm. you know and i can't advance myself and then call myself advancing myself and other people are left behind mm-hmm. so you know there has to be a collective aspect of responsibility how do i fit into the bigger picture but then there's no bigger picture to even fit into mm-hmm. you know nobody's presenting a bigger picture to these kids and it's just like well whatever mm-hmm. you know and it's just, it's 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 a very layered problem problem but i think you know as we've been discussing this whole time it's like culture is a, has to be the centerpiece you know yes. if not then you, you're going to be take, if you don't have your own cultural values that you're standing on then you're going to be adopting somebody else's absolutely. and probably somebody else that doesn't care about whatever happens to you mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. uh, so on the cultural piece um, I did want to ask like out of your like faculty do you guys have uh you know trips to africa that you do or like things like resources that you have in order to like uh enrich that no but we would love that okay. and if you have any connections for that uh, that would be perfect i know originally in the beginning we were taking students to ghana okay okay so we were having trips um that venture is we are looking to go back to getting that getting those resources in place where there are free trips um, that we can take students and even staff mm. uh, so that getting off the ground would just be for us major major so looking into resources and if you all know uh, in research we're able to do that because it's just a financial piece I'm sure the commitment I'm, would, would be there the interest is definitely there just them wanting to come to the school to embrace the culture to actually get the opportunity to go would be phenomenal mm-hmm. well even if they can't necessarily go even just sometimes even giving that exposure in um, outside of the classroom setting because mm-hmm. oftentimes you can't get it all in and uh, with the curriculum that you have to do because of the state then right. there's also a component that on the cultural enrichment side that perhaps can be done in an after-school program or something mm-hmm. in addition to for those families who may be interested in, in that uh, we might not be able to sponsor children to, to go to Africa but perhaps we can bring Africa <laughs> to, to the schools um, from time to time if that's something that you know, we could probably talk about absolutely, um, absolutely, as far as enrichment is concerned. Absolutely, yeah, because there that's that's a piece of it that is um, just difficult to to bring in all of the cultural components. Mm-hmm. Um, surely, what you're doing is a phenomenal job, and like you said, you're you're taking steps to get us to where we're trying to go. Um, and and we were even talking about like we all have to come together to like even just network on what ideas we can put in place, what programs we can put in place um, to get all of us working together better on a collective basis as opposed to you guys doing this we're doing this Mm -hmm. how about we come together with those resources to continue to build the world that we're trying to that we want to see yeah one of the the things having been over there is i wanted to 
I wanted to connect kids, young people from Africa uh, with kids over here and young people over here. Um, but the challenge in that is where we live is a French speaking country. Mm -hmm. So, but do you guys have a French program over there? I uh, know. Okay. No. So, you know, you know, French is a major. We know. You obviously, yeah. So, we know. yeah. So, because we, um, sometimes we may get students from Senegal or different places and mm -hmm. they speak French. So, mm. we've had to figure that out. Um, how to develop a program where the students can still learn. Um, we have been able to figure that out, but uh, we have we don't have a French program where children are actually learning French. Because that, that will really open up doors for the children to, to in some ways, make connections in Africa as adults. Right, you, know, you. You, you don't have to be limited just to the English-speaking countries. There's also, you know, there's probably more French-speaking countries and English-speaking countries. So, you know, it just opens more doors. And, you know, obviously speaking English will get you in some doors, but then right. it doesn't get you in every door. Right, right. I will note that. Well, well, they could also learn they do, which is humanities original yeah. language. Yes. And, um, the would definitely be... That can address so many issues on so many different levels. Um, mm -hmm. In a sense that, uh, like the hieroglyphic language, when we think about the English language with 26 letters, 26, 30 sounds or so, mm -hmm. it's so very limiting. Where um, with the hieroglyphs, just on the first level alone, there's like 400 different uh, sonograms. So mm -hmm. that just, in comparison to even the brain capacity, is just uh, monumentally contrasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then it's a language that belongs to us. So there's there's that aspect. You don't have to be trapped in somebody else's language. And it, the significance to that is also there's a lot of concepts that's transmitted through the language that belong to a culture. Mm. So, for example, there's certain concepts, ideas, you know, that we don't really have words for in English. Yes. You have to try to, like, really explain it. What, yes. what you just could say in one word yes. in another language yes that is that's another component that would be excellent um, I did have the opportunity under uh, to take a Metternich class under uh, Jacob Carruthers and I think his assistant name was Roosevelt at that particular time it was it was an outstanding course, but they were master teachers at the, you know, so having that experience, um, it, it is groundbreaking. And if that's something that our children could be exposed to, mm -hmm. now that, that is, yeah, that's a piece. That's well, a strong talk, piece. We that's can a talk about piece. that. Yeah, we can talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, we can talk about that. Well, uh, I don't have anything else. I think this has been great, you know, and I really appreciated your insights. Uh, and, um, you know, for us, it's just, uh, it's inspiring to see a group of people come together and create a school that's Afrocentric and, like, based on African values because, you know, we have our children that are growing up. We need to make sure that we, we're building institutions for our children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, we need many institutions that are going to be supporting our our children, and you know, to see you guys holding down your part is uh, 
it's uh, phenomenal. So uh, keep it up, and we're wishing you guys the best. And for sure, anything that we can do to try to supplement, whether it be uh, the faculty or the students, or, you know, keep us in mind, and we'll see. You know, we'll see how we can collaborate. We would love to. That, that's really what this podcast is about. Okay. Uh, it's built. It's about making these type of connections, having these type of conversations, and so us and our guests can network and build bridges but also we can get out to the public how the public can get involved and support things like that so even if we trying to do a trip to africa uh you know we we can crowdfund we we can find sponsors we can find different people and it's out there you know in the public in the public view so you know we we're honored once again to have you come out and, uh, take your time right, right before the school year begins you know yep. you have a daughter she's mm-hmm. a superstar we met recently yes. yes it took me a second I'm like wait a minute I appreciate this we appreciate you yes, we appreciate sure. you and the entire Betty Shabazz community it's been like one of these pillars in our community whether you know it or not sometimes when you're in the trenches you feel like you're in there by yourself <laughs> but mm-hmm. do know that you have like your cheerleaders and mm-hmm. and supporting staff and community members uh, all around pushing forward and again we do want to bring those collaborative ideas and, and, and solutions to the problems that we all face. I appreciate it and I look forward to talking with you all some more. You too. All right, great. Well, I'm certainly honored. I'm not just buttering them up, but I'm really honored that we're having such a great guest for these first few episodes, uh, you know. Absolutely. Really looking forward to our next guest. I don't want to like spill the beans or anything but we're looking forward to a certain uh high level administrator of a certain museum that we've been dealing with here in the city so uh that's our next interview uh hopefully i hope so we look we're working on it but you know last i heard she was out of town if we can get her i'll be like yeah that'll be a great way to start and then we also have one of the ogs of the earth center who's like instrumental and kind of like Helping Master Novel when he first got uh-huh. here. And we're going to be trying to get him for around the New Year's. That'll so we, be wonderful. Yeah, we got an awesome lineup coming up, and we're just going to keep bringing heavy hitters after heavy hitters. And, uh, you know, that's what, we, that's what we're about here right. on the sunny side, you know. Yeah. We have so many opportunities to build bridges, and, you know, uh, building bridges is definitely more work, but it's rewarding. You know, ultimately, that's what's going to get us to our goal because individually um our lives are so short we mm-hmm. can only do so much and then you know we whatever may happen we lose our strength we lose our uh energy we lose our drive we only can do so much individually but if we are passing the torch uh passing the inspiration spreading you know the knowledge and also receiving knowledge from other people who have been doing things that we want to be doing mm-hmm. you know we can do a lot more absolutely well uh the education piece is so big you know what did you think about the conversation in terms of education you know did you have anything else you wanted to bring up yeah i i wanted to bring up the discipline issue uh during the interview but i just know that there's just so many limitations that we have in the chicago school system that discipline cannot be accurately addressed because we aren't in our own cultural setting and the difference i was talking let's just call it what it is you can't beat the kids (laughs) 
I'm going to just say this. I was a substitute teacher Uh for a a window of time, and I found myself in the position that he was talking about. They had a group of children, a school that was about to be shut down because of discipline. Mm. So they threw all of the children who just misbehaved into one classroom. Whether they were in second, third, fourth, fifth grade, they all got tossed into like the cool out room or the naughty room or whatever you want to call it. That's the room that these children were in. And they hadn't had a school, a, a, a teacher for like six months. So every day they had a new substitute teacher. And so here I am straight out of college and I'm going to be their substitute teacher. And I did this for a few hours and the children were so just bad that I just I, I was just at my wits end. So I'm trying to be the nice person that I was, you know, raised to be. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't couldn't contain myself. It's like anytime I would leave the classroom, anytime I would do something, the child, the classroom would just go up in in to just pure chaos. So at one point I just got frustrated and I'm like, I'm taking you two to the principal's office. So I took two little two children down to the principal's office. They were like, don't give them to me. Take them to the vice principal's office. I take them to the vice what? principal's <laughs> office. And they said, I don't want to deal with them. Take them to the, to the discipline room or something. Uh, I can't even remember the other place. I take them over there. They said, we don't want to deal with them. Take them to the library. Let the librarian deal with them. So I take them to the librarian and they saw that I was like so frustrated. Like, what do you want me to do with these two children so they just out of compassion they were just like leave them here and just you know sit them over there so I (laughs) sat them over there and I went back to the classroom and when I tell you the children were jumping on the tables the chairs throwing chairs a chair like flew by somebody's head and I that was in fact that was the reason why I ended up taking the children to the to the um to the principals anywho one of the children, I'm like, okay, it's time to stop doing art. It's now trying to do math or whatever the case may be. And he just would not put his little colored pencils down. And I'm like, little Johnny, it's time to move on to the next thing. And he just wouldn't. He just flat out refused. And before I knew it, I had grabbed him by his collar and was like, I said, do this, this, and this, and this. And and he did it immediately. He just put his stuff away and it was finished. But at the same time, I'm like, this could be a lawsuit, right? Yeah. This could be a lawsuit right here because I done just grabbed a little child that's not my own. Right. And so I just let his collar go one finger at a time. And I said, you know what? This is not worth me going to jail, getting into no fight, getting <laughs> into, you know, losing my job and all this stuff. Right. So it's now about 2.30. Class school isn't over till 3.30. I went and got my purse, my bag and everything, and I put it over my... Um, over my arm, I went down to the principal's office. I'm like, you need to send someone to room 224. They're like, oh, but class isn't over till 3.30. It might be over for you at 3.30, but it's over for me right now. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh. one of the ladies had the nerve to say, I'm surprised you last this long. And I was just fuming, but but that's the that's the environment that I was just like. But that child right then, all of the children, they needed a, just a straight up beat down, and they would have been in order, in line. Well, you would have been on some kung fu panda with a school <laughs> of uh, thirty kids. I mean, a classroom of thirty kids. But and that's what I'm. I'm the they time. were all. They were all just 
just bad. Oh, and this with and I don't want to say not that we say they're bad, bad kids. Not bad children, but yeah. their bad behavior is the, right. is the proper terminology. Mm-hmm. But negative behavior. Negative behavior. Yes. But that's the part that is just so difficult because when you're in a culture, yeah. they just deal with stuff straight on. They don't yeah. sugarcoat it. They don't, you know, give you a timeout and all this and that. If you need to be smacked the smack is coming yeah. it's just instantaneous it's over it's finished i saw a child yeah. once in the thing that is like you don't you don't have to be smacked every time no just you raising know, your voice you just, the fact that you, just the fact that you know that it can happen is already enough exactly exactly and i remember uh we were in the village setting and there was a child who was like maybe three or four years old and he didn't want to go somewhere where his mother was telling him to go he wanted to stay and eat bread and she was like it's time to go get showered up and ready for the day and he's just now throwing his back out and this that and the other and I, that was probably one of the first time i saw a little child throw their back out um in medita and the mother didn't say anything but everybody in the village was like hey 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 from the grandmothers the fathers the aunties everybody just corrected the child like instantly and the mother literally didn't have to say another word and he grabbed her hand and they walked back to where they needed to go to take his shower and it was finished mm-hmm. but that was because everyone put their energy into just correcting it on the spot but nowadays like you can't even talk to somebody's kid exactly. they be like don't you talk to my baby exactly you know unless you like if you have to put your hand on somebody child that's a, that's a big problem you know well that's why i didn't want to bring up the subject because it's well like, no it's not a bad subject to talk about i mean you know i'm sure he grew up a certain way like we did and uh you know he'll probably recognize that not to say that he's going to get any ideas and like start pulling <laughs> start pulling switches on his way back to the school i don't, I don't think he's going to do that exactly exactly but that's the that's the difficult part that we find ourselves in when you are in the colonial system they have you in a box that you have to like abide by their their rules to a certain degree but listen i was uh you know i had to take a mandated reporter class mm-hmm. you know uh, what is that? It's for like certain positions you might have to do dealing with kids, mm-hmm. children, uh, where you have to know in what situation you would have to report certain things to the authorities, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I was required to go through this program for some some teaching job I was doing. Uh, you know, but they said that if a, if children are getting spanked by their parents, that's not grounds to call DCFS on mm-hmm. them. You know, if you see signs of abuse like bruises and stuff like that, that you know, uh, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if the person says, you know, if the if the kid tells you, oh, he'll get a whooping if you if you send him if you send him home with a note, mm-hmm. that that's not grounds for reporting like that you're not you're not gonna be legally you know what that means is like if you witness something and you don't say anything you also can be in trouble that's what a mandated reporter is like okay. mandated to report you know otherwise you you an accomplice mm-hmm. so you know that's a whole thing of in itself but so I'm just you saying, saw me grab that child's collar would you have to report me uh <laughs> according to that it's been a minute, you know. <laughs> it's just I took that. But, that was uh, kind of like a joke. But I don't yeah, know. I probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have recorded you. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, 
so yeah we it, it was a great uh great next episode and i think that's all we have for you guys our uh esteemed viewers and um please make sure if you haven't already hit the like button subscribe share this video uh or if you're listening on audio share it you know share it with other people who you think would be interested in what we have to say what we're talking about so that we can continue to spread this message absolutely so um you know we're off to this uh african fest gala and uh we'll be seeing you next week next week peace and blessings on the sunny side life can be so sweet on the sunny side of the street